So good to get a glimpse of what God's doing around the world. We celebrate how there's changed lives in Cambodia. And David serves as uh, one of our elders as well. You maybe have been able to enjoy him personally in conversations, also preaching. We're grateful for him. And let's continue to pray for Cambodia and the work there through our international partners. We are truly connected around the world and the joy of the Lord in Cambodia, the joy of the Lord in Auburn. Same Holy Spirit, same God around the world. And the family of Christ is very diverse. And we celebrate that as well. We are in Joel chapter 2 today. Joel is a book, one of the prophets, very short book, just three chapters. His name means the Lord is God. The nation was drifting, and Joel's life really is to point people back to God, to return to the Lord your God. And in Joel chapter 2, the theme is really the joy of the Holy Spirit, the joy of the Holy Spirit. I've seen more joy with the sunshine out. I don't know about you, but it seems like there's more smiles when masks are off. You can really see it. And uh, there just seems to be kind of a lightness. And I think even nature points us to the goodness of God, the power of God, the presence of God, and even the joy of God. We're grateful on so many levels. Let's pray as we dive into the scripture tonight. Father God, we thank you and praise you, Lord, that you are the source of all joy in our lives and all of the blessings, all of the goodness, all of the hope. We give you praise. God, thank you that you can take a place like Cambodia, known as the killing fields, and God, bring life in that place. Lord, we bring to you the areas of our life that feel dead and feel hopeless, and we pray through your Holy Spirit that you'd breathe life into those places today, God, as we seek you together, and we say yes to you. We say yes, yes to your presence, your leading, your power. And thank you that you give us not a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As you read through the Bible and listen to God, that's what we're doing when we read through the Bible. We're listening to God. There is a thread, a golden thread throughout the Bible. And there's a question to consider. Here it is. How much of God's presence do you want in your life? We see that from Book to book, cover to cover in the Bible, how much of God's presence do you really want in your life? And God offers a fullness of his presence. And we think about Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Some people maybe think, yeah, I think so with the Father, more of his presence. Jesus, yes. The Holy Spirit, um, not sure, mystery, but yeah. And what is it like for you? Your relationship with the Father, your relationship with the Son, and your relationship with the Holy Spirit, the fullness of God's presence. This is a passage that really encourages us to desire more of the Holy Spirit and to listen to the Holy Spirit much more. We're going to start in this chapter near the end of the chapter. And it's really the climax and the promise. And this is what it's building up to. In verse 28, we read this. And it's a glorious promise. It's an inspiring vision. What is God doing? Look at verse 28. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Well, what is God doing in those verses? God is initiating 
and we are receiving. We first receive before we do anything in our relationship with God. We abide, we receive. Such an opportunity, such a joyful tone in those two verses. What else is God doing? He's multiplying his work. He's changing lives. And he's doing it through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, what you see is the Holy Spirit, the beginning of the church, poured out Pentecost, fresh wind, fresh fire. People ask, are they drunk? No, they're not drunk. They're full of the Holy Spirit. What is God doing in the word? What is he doing in these verses? He's empowering people. He's empowering us through the Holy Spirit. I often go back to a passage in Numbers, and this is a situation where Moses is leading with Joshua. Joshua is his understudy, the apprentice. And what's happening is more people are experiencing the Holy Spirit. And in Numbers chapter 11, verse 28, there's first 70 elders, and the Spirit is working in their lives. And then there's two more men, Eldad and Medad. And they were uh, listed among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. Yet the Spirit rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since his youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all of the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would pour out his spirit on them. Moses' longing is the same fulfillment in this passage, in Joel chapter 2. That's my longing as a pastor, is that God's spirit would fill God's people everywhere we go to the fullness, where we live, work, learn, or play. There's a passion that's exciting when I read Joel. That passion is stirred. And what is God doing? Pouring out his spirit? He saves, he rescues, he heals. Verse 32 in Joel chapter 2. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord had said, among the survivors whom the Lord calls. That was radical. In our language today, we're like, oh yeah, everyone can call on the Lord. That was radical. That young and old, Jew and Gentile, uh, those who were considered less than, whether it's a caste, a system because of their sin, that they could call on the Lord. This is radical. That the Lord moves and saves, sets free and delivers from sin, forgives. He is gracious. And again, we listen to that promise. We listen to God. And what is the fulfillment of that promise? That promise has potential fulfillment. It's a daily decision. If you want the Holy Spirit in your life, filled with the Holy Spirit, that's a daily decision. It's eschatological, which means end times. It looked forward to Pentecost that I just described in Acts chapter 2. It looked forward beyond that to God pouring out his spirit. And then it's also continual. It's a choice, a 24-7 relationship with God, and global, multicultural, generations, nations. What an offer. The fullness of God's presence for us today. And that's the climax of this chapter. But we're going to look at the buildup in this chapter. As we listen to God, there's going to be three spiritual conditions. Joel's very direct, very clear, vivid pictures. And we're going to take this in, in this direct language, three different spiritual conditions. Now let's go back to the beginning of Joel chapter 2. And the first condition is this, life apart from the Spirit. And the image, Joel gives images for each of these three conditions. The image is a desert wasteland. 
Now, this isn't the Arizona that so many people in Seattle just really want to go visit and move to. Uh, I've seen so many people from Seattle move to Arizona. This is different. This is a desert wasteland. And all of us have the potential to push, to grieve, to mourn the Holy Spirit. Grieve the Holy Spirit every day. So this isn't like, oh, a couple people over there. This is like all of us, a daily decision. We can live in the flesh, not the Spirit. Let's take a look at what God's doing here. I'm going to read the first 11 verses and take it in. We're listening to God together. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. It's a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was of old, nor ever will be in ages to come. Before them, fire devours. Behind them, a flame blazes. Before them, the land is like the Garden of Eden. Behind them, a desert waste. Nothing escapes them. We have an invasion of locusts here, and the Garden of Eden is now turning into a desert wasteland. That's the imagery. They have the appearance of horses. They gallop along like cavalry. With a noise like that of chariots, they leap over the mountaintops like a crackling fire-consuming stubble, like a mighty army drawn up for battle. At the sight of them, nations are in anguish. Every face turns pale. They charge like warriors. They scale walls like soldiers. They all march in line, not swerving from their course. They do not jostle each other. Each marches straight ahead, and they plunge through the defenses without breaking ranks. They rush up on the city. They run along the wall. They climb into the houses. Like thieves, they enter through the windows. Before them, the earth shakes, the sky trembles, the sun and moon are darkened, and the stars no longer shine. The Lord thunders at the head of his army, his forces are beyond number, and mighty are those who obey his command. The day of the Lord is great, it is dreadful, who can endure it? And you consider that picture, and there's cosmic implications, but we're talking about locusts, and what we read here is blow the trumpet and sound the alarm. That's not a trumpet with three buttons you can press. <laughs> We've got some gifted trumpet players in our church. This is a trumpet that's a ram's horn. It's the shofar. And blow the trumpet. In Ezekiel and Jeremiah, they blow the trumpet. And it's a time of warning to wake up. It is a wake-up call to alert the people. The locusts are coming. And these literal locusts, here's the description. They charge, they march, they plunge, they rush, they climb, they leap. It's a staccato, and it's a rhythm like a war. They're coming, they're coming. Before them, three times. Behind them, two times. All around. You get this picture, they surround, the locusts surround. You can't even keep them out of your window. I mean, they didn't have windows like we have windows. You can close, and the locusts would come in the house like a fire just devouring the land, devouring the vegetation. And that picture here of the locusts, their appearance, kind of like a horse. In some languages, locusts, that word means little horses because the face of a locust looks like the face of a horse. And they come with speed, and there's a sound. Joel's very descriptive. The mountains are usually protection. The mountains are no obstacle. The locusts fly over, and you can hear their wings, just like the horses charge over the mountains. And you can hear the sound of the chariots moving. And they hear that sound, and they see the invasion. And that's what's happening in the land, like they've never seen before. Now, locusts in the Bible and even in Joel, there's literal and there's metaphorical. The literal, the little insects. 
and the metaphorical invading armies. Here's what's important about the geography. When you think about the 12 tribes, now military back then was different than today. So no foreign military is going to invade. There's no coast guard. They're not coming in by the water. So there's protection by the water. They're not going to come through the desert. Uh, They're also not going to fly in the air. There's no air force. So the invading armies come in two directions. They either come from the north or they come from the south. From the south, Egypt. From the north, Assyria and Babylon. Assyria will invade about 722. Babylon, 586. From the north, Joel's probably written about 800 years before Christ. So the invasion of these locusts, it's also a foreshadowing of what's coming in terms of some foreign armies as well. You say, wow, that's a lot to take in. I mean, there's cosmic stuff. There's locusts. There's armies. Here's what's really happening. And this is so important for our lives today. The primary thing in our lives is our spiritual walk with God. And the primary piece for them was their relationship with God. And everything else is secondary. Primary is our relationship with God. There's a whole bunch of stuff that happens during the week, all kinds of stuff. We can get distracted, we can get discouraged. But primary It's Jesus. It's abiding with Jesus. Well, what was happening spiritually? If spiritually is primary, what was happening? They had an empty prosperity. I mean, King David, about 200 years before, the land's blessed. They had prosperity, but it's an empty prosperity. Have you ever had an empty prosperity? I mean, the bank account's doing pretty well. The house is pretty nice. I mean, there's some great social times. But underneath it, like underneath all the programs and the events and the schedule, like there's just an emptiness there. And they had an emptiness because they're chasing the wrong things. And with their prosperity materially and the abundance materially, they had pride. They started to drift. They had idols, sin, distance, rebellion from God. And all this was swelling up and they started to turn from the living God to other options, whether that's people or even Baal. This is a spiritual condition. Sin Short-term pleasure, long-term destruction. You can count on it. Short-term pleasure, long-term destruction, and sin is usually worse than it appears. When you see a little bit of sin, you lift up what's underneath that, it's usually the tip of the iceberg. When you hear of a situation, you're like, ooh, that doesn't sound good. That sounds like sin over there. And then you find out a little more information, you're like, oh, that's deeper than I thought. (laughs) That's worse than I thought. And it's true in our lives. When we come before a holy God, we kind of come in sometimes like, yeah, I don't think there's much sin in my life. I don't think I sinned really this week. And then we come before a holy God, it's like, yeah, I need, I need the Lord. I need his grace. I need his forgiveness. And that's where the land was. God will not be mocked. They're testing the Lord. And the day of the Lord comes. Another way you could say the day of the Lord is a day of accountability. There's a day of accountability that comes. And as the locusts come in, there's anguish. That word anguish is the same word of a woman in the throes of delivering a child and the labor pain. And guys will never experience that firsthand. But I've been in the room secondhand And I'll tell you, just secondhand uh, made a pretty strong impression on me. So this picture of anguish, of the deepest, kind of most intense anguish they would ever go through, their distance from God, the locusts coming in, and eventually it's going to be exile. It's going to be an invasion. Who can endure it? There's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to go. Have you been in a situation in life where there's just nowhere to go. Like, you can't go to the doctor. You can't go to the friend. You can't, like, where do you go? 
And that's where they felt like, where do we go? There, there's locusts everywhere. Where do we go? And the answer that Joel, the Lord is God, his name, the meaning, the answer that he's declaring to the people is go to the Lord. He's there. He is gracious. Go to the Lord. It's a painful time in their lives. And I believe that in our lives, a lot of times, passion is birthed out of pain. Passion is birthed out of pain. When we've made some terrible choices, we want to help other people to not make those choices. Not all of our suffering is due to our sin. No, it's not. Uh, there's trials in life. We live in a fallen world. So don't link up everything that's happening in your life. It's challenging and say, oh, it must be because I sinned. It's not the case. But when we're going through challenging things and there's pain, God gets our attention. And it can be transformative. It can be inspiring. And we can turn to God for healing. I believe pain so often leads to passion. So, in terms of an application here, because as we go through these passages in our devotional journal, there's scripture, you observe what's happening, then you apply it and lead to prayer. That's the SOAP acronym. Here's an application internally. One thing that the Holy Spirit is doing during the week is a ministry of conviction. This is John chapter 16. And the Holy Spirit convicts. It's the sense after you know you've done something that's wrong, it's the sense that God is saying, that was wrong, I'm still with you, but things are going to change. That loving voice, those nudges, is the work and the communication of the Holy Spirit. And it's a conviction to say, my priorities need to change. My reaction needs to change. My attitudes need to change. My words need to change. My worship needs to change. My boldness for the Lord needs to change. This needs to change. And it's a great gift. And the Holy Spirit brings conviction during the week. Now, David was experiencing the conviction after he slept with a woman, wasn't married to her, had her husband killed, and then just tried to act like it's cool, little cover-up. We've all done a little cover-up. little cover-up, it's cool. He was stubborn, just like we get stubborn when we sin. We don't want God in our business when we sin. We get stubborn. He was stubborn. He was silent. And this is what he said. Psalm 32, verse 3. When I kept silent, felt like my bones were wasting away. Felt like I was groaning all day long. You ever been sitting on some sin? <laughs> and internally, you're just feeling like you're groaning. He says, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped. Nothing will take your strength away like sin. Nothing will take it away like sin. Just like it was the heat of summer. Not a nice day like today, but I'm thinking Texas, humidity, well over a hundred. I mean, I've been there. It's like your strength is sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin. So here comes the confession. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave me and the guilt of my sin. And with confession, what does God do? He forgives. He takes away guilt. He takes away shame. We are set free. There's life again. And David said, I was so stubborn for so long with my sin. But when I confessed it and I came clean and I received, that's so important to receive his grace, forgiveness. Let him take away the guilt and the shame. Don't hold on to the guilt and the shame. Let him take it away. David was renewed and he says, now I'm going to help other people. I'm going to help other people that are stuck. I'm going to help other people be set free. And David's life was changed. That's what's happening internally. And then you see the fruit of David's life. When your life is healthy spiritually and internally, there's going to be a lot of fruit in your life and in my life. You say, well, what does the external look like? I'm going to give an example here. 
Because I believe in many ways, uh, America right now is a thirsty land spiritually and needs living water. You say, well, what does it look like to live out and offer this living water? And I want to share, and here's a picture of, this is from NBC News, and you're going to see a picture of a nun. Now, what is the nun doing right here? Uh, There is a brave army of nuns. They report about 60,000 nuns. And they are quietly operating in 92 countries. And, And this is the picture that was shared. What's the focus of the nuns? To help young girls who are caught in human trafficking. See, that's a desert wasteland. To have human trafficking around the world as prevalent as it is today And the nuns are offering these girls a way out. Now, here's one of the girls and what she said. She was rescued by the nuns. And she said the pimps got to the point with the nuns uh, where they just left the nuns alone. Now, at first, the pimps were attacking the nuns frequently. But they got to the point where they just left them alone. And this is so powerful because nothing you say or do is going to run them away. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. If you try to kill the nuns, they'll come back. You try to beat them up, they'll come back. You try to tear them down, they'll come back. You try to pull them out, they'll come back. Finally, the pimp said, there's nothing we can do to remove the nuns. Why? Because the nuns see a desert wasteland, and it's not okay in the land. And so they're going to risk whatever it takes to help rescue these girls out of human trafficking. They're also lobbying for stronger laws systemic change. They're brave. They're relentless. They go towards the brokenness. They go towards the pain. They go towards the injustice. And they know, I think, that they're the hands and feet of Jesus. And that's who we are, the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus. That's who you are, the hands and feet of Jesus. And I love this. You know the name of the group is? Talitha Kum. You say, well, that sounds familiar. What is that from? When Jesus saw the dead girl and raised, raised up the dead girl, he said, arise, young girl, Talitha come. Arise, young girl. And that's the ministry. Arise, young girl, caught in human trafficking. A desert wasteland doesn't have to stay a desert wasteland. When there's sin in our lives, we confess. We get filled with the Holy Spirit, and then instead of just watching a desert wasteland, we bring living water to a desert wasteland as the Lord leads you, as the Holy Spirit leads you. You say a desert wasteland, that's the first picture. That's the first condition. But there's a second condition. And the second spiritual condition is hunger for God. And the image here is rending a heart. Now, I know we don't say that very often. I know that's even difficult to kind of fathom. And we're going to unpack that. But it's rending a heart. And it's an appeal. Not only does the Holy Spirit convict of sin. You say, well, why? Because the Holy Spirit says, come home. The Holy Spirit says, come home. Return to the Lord with all your heart. You see that throughout scripture. It's God's heart. It's God's communication. He says, return to me, return to me, come home. And there's so many powerful pictures of that in the Bible. Now let's take a look at the second section, the second spiritual condition, starting in verse 12. Even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, even with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. He relents from sending calamity. 
Who knows? He may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpets in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, and gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the temple porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? We're seeing a hunger for God in this section. And you might think about your own hunger for God. Do you, do you tonight have a pretty immense hunger for God? Or do you just want to dabble a little? Are you just curious? Are you kind of returning? Where's your hunger for God? The two words, even now. There's a sense of urgency in the land as these locusts come in. Joel says, even now. It's not too late. Don't wait The story's not over. The locusts won't have the final say. But even now, with some urgency in that question, who knows? It's kind of a humble question. I mean, who knows how long you're going to be alive? Who knows? I don't know. You don't know. Who knows? Well, God knows. Who knows how long this window of opportunity is going to be open? That God's put before you. How long is this window of opportunity going to be open? Who knows? I don't know. Do you know? We don't know what's coming. Who knows? Who knows how gracious and merciful God will be if we return to him in our land? Who knows how that's going to play out? Who knows? So an urgency and a humility, who knows? And the action is... Now, in the culture, they would tear their garment. I'm going to save my shirt. I need this for tomorrow. But I thought about just, mm, something in me that just wanted to, mm, at that moment. But I'm not going to do that. Tearing their garment was a sign to say, God, we're repentant. God, we're returning to you. God, we're humbling ourselves. God, we're taking you seriously. God, we sense urgency. And they would tear their garments. But you know what would happen, as it often does in religious circles? They would fulfill the outside work but not much change on the inside. I mean, you can go to Bible study, life group, you can go to church, you can go to the prayer meeting, you can go to a lot of places, and on the outside, some things are happening, but on the inside, not much transformation. And because that was a pattern so often for them, and because that's a temptation for us today, isn't it? You ever feel like looking real spiritual on the outside, but then there's another story on the inside, and you're just wondering, does God know it? Does he love me? Do other people, are they going to love me if they know that inside story? God wants to transform the inside story. God wants to move in the inside story. Say, well, we like outside. You know why? Because outside People see that, and then they, they like it, and they applaud, and I get good feedback. Outside, that's easier to do than the inside. Pharisees, outside. It's easy in religious circles to do the outside checklist, but it's the inside work of the Holy Spirit that we need. And if we don't have that inside work, as what happens in a lot of religious circles, There's hypocrisy, there's a double life, there's two stories. And then there's some shock later when you hear, what? On the outside, I thought it was this, this, and this. And what? On the inside, it was that, that, and that? And there's a dissonance. 
And that just reminds us how much we need the Holy Spirit to do work on the inside. Say, well, where's the hope here? The hope in all of this is who God is. And look at this. Return to the Lord your God. God is gracious and compassionate. Don't let anyone ever tell you otherwise. God says it. He is gracious and he is compassionate. This is repeated throughout Scripture, this little description. Moses in Exodus 34, the Lord declared it to Moses. Moses was going to need to know that. And Moses was going to bring it to the Israelites. And it's again in Deuteronomy. The prophet Micah, it's again there. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger. Aren't you glad that God is slow to anger? I mean, sometimes we are not slow to anger, but God is slow to anger. He is abounding in love. Aren't you glad? I mean, sometimes we just run out of love for people, but God doesn't run out and he's gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. He relents from sending calamity. Does he bring justice? Does he have the final say? Will he make it all right? He sure will, but he's patient and he's kind. And because of that, there's hope. There's repentance. Repentance is when you truly return. Repentance is when there's refreshment and restoration. Hope springs up again. It's through repentance. And that's why in this section you see return, return. And you keep saying, to the Lord your God, to the Lord, to the Lord your God, to the Lord your God, return, to the Lord your God, return, to the Lord your God. I mean, if you had the microphone for America right now, maybe you'd say something similar. America, return to the Lord your God, return to the Lord your God. I mean, what an urgent message. What a relevant message. And we need the Holy Spirit. We had some storms not that long ago. I know it doesn't feel like it this week, but did you notice how many people lost power for a day, a few days in these storms? And it was interesting because some people had generators and some didn't. And you could tell a difference in the experience going through that storm. Some had generators and some didn't. And I was thinking of that metaphor, generator compared to the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's barriers. And what I want to do right here is help us to identify if you have some reluctance around the Holy Spirit, I hope these five barriers as we walk through these are going to help us overcome and break through those barriers of reluctance to the Holy Spirit. Maybe I'll mention the generator as well, just to kind of put it in practical terms. But look at these barriers. So the first one is I don't believe. Someone could say generators. I don't believe in generators. And I don't believe I could get a generator either. So if it's not available, I don't even know if they exist. I'm, I'm not sure I believe. A lot of people, the Holy Spirit, I don't know if I believe. I believe in the Father, Son. Well, do you believe the Holy Spirit's equal? God, fully God? I don't know if I believe. Uh, so there's a first blockage for a lot of people in a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And then you say, well, I don't need. You know, if someone says, I don't need a generator. I'm a handyman. I'm intelligent. I figure things out. I've got some battery-operated stuff in my house. I don't need a generator. Now, this person believes in generators, but they don't think they need a generator. You might believe in the Holy Spirit, but you're thinking, you know, I got a lot figured out in life. I don't think I need the Holy Spirit as much as other people need the Holy Spirit. And that pride creeps in. Well, let's say someone believes and knows they need the Holy Spirit, but now it just boils down to, I don't want a generator. 
I mean, I've never had one before. I'm not sure what it's going to do. I'm not sure if it's going to bring too much power. I mean, I kind of like life without the Holy Spirit because I get to control. And this sounds like the Holy Spirit is going to lead and control. And I, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I know I need the Holy Spirit. I just don't think I want to be empowered and led by the Holy Spirit. I mean, things could get, I don't know. I just, I don't think I want to go there in my life. I'm just going to live a kind of Christian life that's, you know, controlled. Uh, that's, a, that's a barrier. So you look at these barriers and you say, well, what if I believe in the Holy Spirit? I know I need the Holy Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit. And then a lot of people are right here. I just don't know how to be filled with the Spirit. I mean, I see it's a command. Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. I see Pentecost filled with the Spirit. I just don't know how. And what I'd tell you today is filled with the Holy Spirit kind of simple. I thought of the acronym SAM, but it's, it's surrender. You know, as you confess your sins, you surrender to God. You ask to be filled with the Spirit, and you start to move with the Spirit. And find some other people who are surrendering to the Holy Spirit, asking for the Holy Spirit, starting to move with the Holy Spirit. And pretty soon, uh, you know what happens? This relationship with the Holy Spirit grows, and you're filled, you're listening, you're empowered. You start to sense how the Holy Spirit's moving in your life. You say, well, that sounds good. And a lot of people believe in the Holy Spirit. I know I need the Holy Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit. I think I know how to receive the Holy Spirit. But I don't unite. So this is what happens, is that people are filled with the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit... But they're at home, and they don't connect with the body. Or, you know, there's revival in their prayer closet, but they're not praying with other people. Or, you know, maybe they're doing something alone, but it's not the body of Christ together. And in Western kind of individual, well, all I know is I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. And no one else should care. No one else. It doesn't affect anyone else. No, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's a coming together. There's a life in the body. And there's a bonfire that happens when we come together. So take a look here at these barriers and just let God search your heart. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Do you think you need the Holy Spirit? Do you want the Holy Spirit? Do you know how to receive the Holy Spirit? And when you receive the Holy Spirit, will you unite just like Jesus kept praying that we would be filled with the Spirit, united together? And that leads us to this third spiritual condition. And it's life abundant with the Spirit. New grain, new wine, new oil. And the potential here is beyond what you can imagine. A life filled with the Spirit is beyond what you can think or imagine. Let's take a look at the description, starting in verse 18. Then the Lord will be jealous for his land and take pity on his people. The Lord will reply to them, I am sending you grain, new wine, and oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again I will make you an object of scorn to the nations. I will drive the northern army far from you, pushing it into a parched and barren land, with its front columns going into the eastern sea and those in the rear into the western sea. And its stench will go up, its smell will rise. Surely God has done great things. Be not afraid, O land. Be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. Be not afraid, O wild animals, for the open pastures are becoming green. The trees are bearing their fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their riches. Be glad, O people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains in righteousness, and he now sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. Amen. There's parallels between Joel chapter 1 and Joel chapter 2. The land, the animals, and the people. 
and the drought, now there's an abundance of rain. The land was devastated, now there's a harvest. The animals were groaning, now there's even joy in the animals. The people are coming alive. It's a complete turnaround, and it's through the Holy Spirit. New grain, God's going to give you new provision and sustenance. New oil, that's a new anointing of God's presence and his spirit. New wine, a new joy in your life. Say, so how does that sound? A new grain? I mean, just some solid sustenance in my life. Some new joy, new wine, new oil, a new anointing. The Holy Spirit doing new things in my life. You say, that sounds pretty good. And that's why God says, rejoice, don't fear. Be glad and rejoice. You know, when you rejoice, joy increases. When you praise God and worship God, fear driven away. The more you praise the Lord, the more you thank God, the more you rejoice, the more you worship him, the more fear is driven away. The more the Holy Spirit is in your life, the more love and power and fear is driven away. It's direct. I mean, they're opposites. They're mutually exclusive. And so uh, what God says here in verse 25, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. You know what I did when I was listening to God this week? I just thought the years the locusts have eaten. And I thought of the different points in my life, whether it was health challenges, different challenges in ministry, different battles. And it just felt like, wow, the locusts devoured so much. And if you've gone through a time where it just feels like the locusts have devoured so much, for God to step in and say, I'm going to restore what the locusts have devoured, it's like, you will? You can? Uh, Yes, please. Life full of the Holy Spirit. There's no limits to God's healing and his restoration, how he'll raise you up and build you up. Shame is removed. Listen to God. A fullness, an abundance, a satisfaction in his presence. And just to review, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, so we'll return. The Holy Spirit says, come home, come home with all your heart. And the Holy Spirit empowers, leads and empowers into an abundance, an abundant life that Jesus promised. As we close, I want to share, because I'm walking through this with you in terms of listening to God and this theme of the joy of the Holy Spirit. And I want to share Just some different times in my week, this week, where I sense the joy of the Holy Spirit. And maybe this week, as you're listening to God in Joel chapter 2, you could take a pen and paper in that devotional journal and start to write down, where do you sense the joy? Where do you sense the joy? Uh, Here's a couple of them. I was talking to a lady in her 20s. She's been sober for several months now. Really, it's been a long time, but she's sober for several months. And she doesn't know the Lord yet, but she saw a statue, and in the statue it said, trust Jesus. So I was able to talk with her about trusting Jesus in the gospel, in grace, in a relationship. And we talked, and she was listening to the gospel, and she says, I've just had chills for 10 minutes. She said, and I was like, God's moving in your life. She said, all I know is that statue, trust Jesus, because God doesn't want us empty. Sobriety is a good start, but he doesn't leave us empty. He wants us to be the fullness of his presence. And she was saying, we got to keep talking more. We got to keep talking. And uh, the Holy Spirit moving in her life. I felt the joy of the Holy Spirit. I felt the joy of the Holy Spirit when there's a mother who shared with me that her first memories 
were her mom trying to kill her. And her mom was physically and sexually and emotionally abusive. And her mom was trying to kill her. That's her first memory in life. But now the healing God has brought, she came to know the Lord as an adult. She's a mother of eight. And now she serves at a school where she's bringing hope to kids and sharing the love of God. And I was listening to that turnaround. I'm like, this, the joy of the Holy Spirit. I got a text. I got several texts from a friend who works full time, but is part of, you know, really it's a movement, about 9 million pounds of food. And even today, there were 2,300 people in our parking lot that received food. And God is doing an amazing work. And our friends from Muckleshoot Tribe were, um, you know, leading so much of it. And it was wonderful. And, uh, and you think about what God's doing. I sense the joy of the Holy Spirit. I, I, there's um, someone on our staff works really hard. And it was supposed to be his day off, but he came in to serve for a funeral. It was a funeral. And uh, as people gathered, uh, this person shared that, you know, it was predominantly an African-American funeral. And day off tired, but so inspired by the praises that filled this place, you know, on Friday and the worship that happened, even with the tears. So I've never been at a funeral like that. The joy of the Holy Spirit. The joy of the Holy Spirit. As I was talking to someone this week that has a tattoo of the devil and said, it's time for this tattoo to be removed or a new tattoo to come over this tattoo because this is not me. This is not me. And I sense the joy of the Holy Spirit. The joy of the Holy Spirit when I talked to a man this week who grew up Muslim and he's put his trust in Jesus, hasn't been baptized, and I was able to give him our church baptism packet. And he said, thank you so much. And he's going to look at that and he's thinking about baptism. The joy of the Holy Spirit when I talked to a man who is a comedian, didn't grow up knowing Jesus. It was a Japanese comedian who shared the gospel with him, led him to the Lord. And now he continues. He's got a great sense of humor, but he really brings the comfort of Christ. And as people laugh, Howard Hendricks, one of my seminary professors, used to say, you know, God uses humor because people kind of laugh and they start to relax and let their guard down like, ha, ha, ha. And then in love, you can just bring the love of Jesus. Like their mouths are wide open, they're relaxed, they're laughing, and then you can. And that's, I think, what this man does because that was the story of his life. And one other, I was talking to uh, a woman who's a victim, human trafficking, and God has uh, brought so much healing in her life, and she's now a voice of protection. And she's taking next steps to protect more people in human trafficking. And I felt the joy of the Holy Spirit. You say, how does God communicate? I think a lot of times it's through Jesus conversations during the week. I encourage you to have Jesus conversations. Go a little deeper. Ask a few questions. Talk about life. Talk about what God's doing. And when you start talking about that, and you're hearing people's stories, and you're in God's Word, and it starts to connect, like God's people, full of the Spirit. And and then I'm seeing this happen. And you say, yes, God continues to pour out his spirit. And God continues to do what he's doing in chapter 2 in the book of Joel. What he did at Pentecost. How much of God's presence do you want in your life? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I believe when we listen to God in the Bible, that question keeps coming. The communication keeps coming. There's a conviction of sin. There's repentance. There's a hunger for God. There's a hunger for God on the inside, not the outside, on the inside. And there's a life and a presence through the Holy Spirit that comes. And don't settle for less. 
It's more than you can imagine, this abundant life, more than I can even fathom sometimes. There's an abundance through the Holy Spirit. I'm going to invite the worship team to come lead us in worship, and let's still our hearts. Let's listen to God. What has God been saying to you during this time together? During this time in his word tonight, if you were going to put it in a sentence or two, what is God speaking to you? Which verses stood out? What part of the message is the Holy Spirit just bringing to you to say, yes, this is from me. Receive this. Run with this. Trust this. We're listening to God in this series. We're spending time in silence, in his word, seeking. Father God, you have our attention. And more than our attention, we want to give you our affection and our praise. We want to give you our devotion and worship you. You are worthy. You are gracious. You are compassionate. You are slow to anger. You are abounding in love. You are just. You are light. You are love. You are a consuming fire. Because of who you are, God, we listen to you. We worship you. We thank you for your goodness, God. We thank you for your goodness that comes and is offered to a nation with an invasion of locusts. God, we thank you that your goodness is the offer to our nation, material abundance, but often it's an empty prosperity in souls, souls that are longing, souls that are dry. We seek you together tonight. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Yo, subscribe to YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to this channel.